If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. And I do have Hedjun in the studio live at my parents house in the basement what up yeah guys so we're really excited to um come bring you this soccer content i know we've been been gone for a yeah, bit it's been a while yeah it's been a bit of time you know with like thanksgiving uh with the international break with all that stuff so we decided to take a couple weeks off um but i'm ready to talk about soccer a lot of stuff has happened over the past couple of weeks mm. um in international soccer in the english premier league and even t- the past couple of days with the champions league yep so we'll be jumping around all over the place today but first i did want to start with um the english premier league and talk about that a little bit before we get into the international break and then we'll talk about champions league stuff that happened in the past couple of days mm. So in the English Premier League, like Man U's struggles. <laughs> do I, do I we want to start here? They've they've struggled over the past, um, I would say, couple of weeks. Like their last two match weeks, um, in terms of them losing to that, that was a huge game um, against Man City. And Man City's probably been the best team mm-hmm. uh, this year. And I don't think it was unexpected that they lost, but. It was kind of I think I think Man U fans were hoping that this would almost be a jump start for them um, going into international break. It would be good momentum. And then they ended up losing three one. And it's not that it was unexpected or anything like that, but I think it was just I just I don't think Man U and Man City are on the same level right now in terms of talent. Um Unfortunately for Man U fans, I think it's that's like a tough pill to swallow, kind of with how the tables have turned over the past couple of years with Man City being a little bit more dominant in this in this fixture between the two. It's some it's gotta be somewhat concerning for Man U fans, doesn't it? Uh yeah, but I think the problems are pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Right. Um Again, going back to uh, the players not p- playing together as a team. Right. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, David De Gea's, um, I don't know, recent form just hasn't been where it used to be. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's, I think it's a lot to put on him, especially with how many attacking options Man City had going forward in that game. Um, but I, I guess I guess if you take that with in conjunction with I mean they had a zero zero tie against Crystal Palace this past weekend, and I think it kind of shows that their offensive output hasn't been the same as what they're used to putting out. Mm. Well, let's go back to the defense for a second. Okay, okay. So, Manu this season so far has almost let in as many goals as they did last the entire last season. Yeah. Right? So that's concerning and that's not coming from just the lack of quality defense. And it we're less than halfway through the <laughs> season. Yeah. yeah. It's not I don't think it's not just the 
the defense not being able to gel together. We don't really have strong um, center backs and, and full backs. Um, I think it has to do with De Gea's, I don't know, confidence, lack of form lately. Like, if you look at uh, how Spain f- performed uh, since the World Cup, right? Like, De Gea th- isn't, isn't like, hasn't played as well as he sh- he's shown us, right? Right. And, like, he's shown that he's probably top three in the world, maybe the best goalie in the world. And in some stages this year, he has struggled. He still has some of those quick reflexes in the shots, um, shot stopping that he's very well known for. But I think some of the, maybe a little bit of the positioning mm. type of stuff has been a struggle for him. But I think that has been because of maybe the lack of continuity between him and that back line, um, between the two center backs. Um, it's been somewhat of a struggle to f- develop some of that. I mean, Bailly was in, and now it's like Smalling and Lindelof, and then now it, like Jones was in there against Crystal mm. Palace. Like, there's just the whole... I, I don't know if they've developed that continuity between those three very important pieces up the spine of the um, Manchester United defense that, that's got to be a concern, and it's been a little bit of a struggle for them to develop that chemistry. Uh, can we move on from this? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's painful, yeah. like to talk about, and I I see Hedjun like struggling to talk about this, but we did want to. I I did want to highlight something about their offense. Sure. Um, like Anthony Martial had been on a tear. Mm-hmm. Like he, I picked him up in fantasy, but he was on a tear. Um, in terms of being what man you thought he would be, right? Um, in terms of, like, the amount of potential that he's shown. And, like, over the past couple of weeks, he had shown that consistency, Mm -hmm. um, putting in goals, being involved in the offensive half of the field, um, providing assists, good service into the middle of of the field. I mean, in the Man City game, I think it was a little tough for him um, to be able to show that. He he ended up scoring that penalty um, in that Man City game. But... He has looked a lot more involved, and I think um, he's done a, a lot better in Mourinho's system mm. because Mourinho, Mourinho has taught him to track back, and that was something that was lacking in his game, yep. whereas whereas we know he had all that offensive potential in terms of moving forward and going forward, but defensively we're, we're wondering if he'd ever track back, and Mourinho's kind of provided, provided him that structure. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't think the issue is Martial, right? We, I mean, we can't rely on him forever, right? Like, if he doesn't score, that shouldn't mean we sh- we should lose or tie, right? Like, that's... I, <sighs> the, I think the issue lies with Lukaku. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back to this where he, Hedrin's always on the Olivier Giroud uh, bandwagon. No, I mean, uh, Lukaku um, thrives in Belgian national team for a reason, and that's because they have uh, quality midfield midfielders like De Bruyne, right? Hazard, mm. right? Um, but for whatever reason, he drifts so wide in the Man U system 
and he doesn't have a good touch. He doesn't have good acceleration. He he should be a target man in the center, but he ends up drifting wide all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you're a target man, you should at least be able to like get a nice first touch on the ball so that you can hold on to the ball. He just doesn't have that foot skill. Yeah, I th- I mean, I think some of that's a bit of a concern. Um, I don't know. Like you're saying, it seems like it's just this whole team doesn't... I don't know. This whole team has a weird feeling about it in terms of, like, something's not right about this team. And it doesn't... They don't seem to be able to get it together. Uh, we'll talk about their, like, somewhat of their struggles against young boys um, mm-hmm. in the Champions League. Um, and I watched, like, a good portion of that game. Um, so I'll give my thoughts there. But even the Crystal Palace game, like, we'll move on to that. They, I mean, that's an Old Trafford. And for Crystal Palace, who's a bottom third team this year, to get a, to get a result at Old Trafford, like, you don't see teams doing that at Old Trafford, um, like, 10 years ago. Mm. But now it's just almost like a, a thing that is a regular occurrence. And you know what this kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, Liverpool post-Brent, like, when Brendan Rodgers had that second-place finish post that they kind of started struggling under Mm -hmm. him. And this is what it reminds me of, like where like bad teams would just come in and tie Liverpool or beat Liverpool. And I don't know what's going to really change Man U's thinking on it, but I think they kind of need someone that has fresh ideas um, in football to kind of push this team forward and progress this team. Well, they need someone like a Rooney or a Zlatan in the locker room because someone like Pogba, someone like, I don't know, even Smalling, who I think captained uh, in the Champions game on Wednesday. I think he was the captain. Yeah. Um, They just don't have leadership. Right. Yeah. Or like even just like someone that players want to like – rally around mm-hmm. and really push pr- push this team and propel this team forward it just doesn't seem like they they have that it factor yeah. or that intangibleness of a te- I don't know what it is but they don't have it mm-hmm. and it's really been the missing piece yeah. like when everything technically looks okay like when they're moving the ball they pass the ball pretty decently but it's just like they don't have the final pass or they don't have that one thing that's making everything work a lot more smoothly for whatever reason. And it's really hard to, like, like find out or differentiate what that thing is. I'm not exactly sure, but it's it's a real struggle to figure out what that is. I'll just take solace in the fact that um, Man U isn't alone in the struggle. Uh, Real Madrid <laughs> is also struggling. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, hopefully we can get some quality players in the with the transfer window. Yeah, I think that's the that's the big hope for Man U, and we'll see what they end up doing during the winter transfer window because it's quickly approaching us. Like, I think we'll figure out in about a month or so, mm. like what ends up happening with like all the Christmas games, like that are gonna come up. Like, we're gonna have a 
rapid succession of yep. games, which is going to be a lot of fun for us to enjoy. I'll be off from school, so I can enjoy <laughs> that. So it'll be a ton of fun. Um, turning to Man City, like Man City's like looked unbelievably good um, in the way they've attacked. The it's I don't, they're just so impressive, like the amount of depth they have. Something that we've been talking about this whole year and how they haven't really slowed down. It's looked exactly the same as what we've talked about like a month ago. Like nothing's really changed. They've just continued to roll on and on and on. That said, um, Liverpool and Tottenham are, are only what five and three or two points behind. Yeah. So it's, I it's mean, still it, tight. Yeah, yeah. If if Liverpool or Tottenham can tie or beat them at least once, it definitely will be a close race. Yeah. I mean, it's n- nothing is a big guarantee in this. Like you would think, with the way Man City's played this year, they would be up by ten points or mm-hmm. like seven, at least more than a game up. But they're only up two points against Liverpool and five points on Tottenham, so th- it's still a very close race at the top, and it's still very exciting. And I mean, I didn't want to like Man City's kind of almost the boring team to talk about because of how consistent and good they've been, but the Tottenham team really showed me a lot in that Chelsea game this year or this past week. Mm. That was probably the best I've seen Tottenham play this year. Um like it seemed like everything was clicking for them um in that game. Sonongmin even scored a oh goal. Yeah, that was a really and nice that goal. was an amazing like even my parents knew about <laughs> it and were like did you sc- <laughs> did you see that goal? Um you know classic Korean parents that only know about the Korean players. But it was an amazing goal, like, to top, to top off the 3-1 win. Um, he was able to extend the extend the lead to 3 nothing. It was just, I thought that it was a very complete performance, and all, all their players, all their top players were clicking in that mm. game. Um, and it was impressive to see that happen, especially with a Chelsea team that has looked like one of the best teams. Like, I would say probably number two or number three in the league this year in terms of, like, what they've looked like on the pitch um, performance-wise. I was surprised that um, Chelsea's defense seemed to press a little higher up Mm -hmm. despite... I mean, they they don't have the fastest defense on earth, but, I mean... Looking at like Sonungmin's goal, right? He he had like, what, like a 70, 70 yard, five yard sprint. Yeah, with that the was, ball. I mean, he burned. Yeah, uh, Alonso. I think it was. Yeah, or it was, was it. Yeah, uh, I think it was Alonso. And then David Luiz yeah. like reached in for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was just a beautiful like goal. But think about how far up they were sitting, right? Mm-hmm. The defense. I'm like, why? Yeah, I mean, I think in that situation they were pushing for pushing for a, for, for a goal, goal because they were down 2-0 and they were kind of hit on the counter. But I did kind of notice that they did push that line up mm. very high. And Tottenham's a really good atta- uh, counter-attacking yeah. team. They look this, yeah. yeah, and I was very impressed with how they played. I mean, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries lately. Even uh, Musa Sissoko's like looked like a decent player <laughs> now. Like, like the on Twitter, Tottenham fans were kind of like praising him and how good he looked. Um, so that's like a real positive for them. 
Um, even like the injuries kind of have made their team well-rounded because they put in players like Eric Lamella in and um, Lucas Moura in to kind of get some of those minutes. And it really hasn't hurt them because they're only five points behind in mm. the league. Yeah. Um, I mean, they only have eight, eight wins. But, oh, no, I'm sorry. They have ten wins. Yeah, yeah. They have ten wins but, but three losses. Three losses. Yep. And I don't know that that three losses is gonna I think hurt them in the long run, but yeah, I mean in the long run I think it will, but it's I mean some of their like Erickson's getting back healthy, mm-hmm. and I think he'll get his feet under him because he looks really special in the Champions League game today. Um, we could talk a little bit about that, but we didn't even touch upon my favorite team, <laughs> Liverpool. Um, Liverpool's looked. I think very solid in um, the Premier League. They have a huge game coming up, Merseyside Derby, uh, this weekend against Everton, which I'm extremely excited about to watch and follow. Um, I think it's going to be a really tough game, but I think they should be able to pull it out. But I mean, they beat Watford, who hasn't been a bad team this year. They've been solidly mid table. I mean, they were ahead of Man U for a while. And they were pretty solid, like they were solidly mid-table, not too far away from the top four points-wise. And I was impressed that Liverpool was able to turn it on in the second half because it was 0-0, and I was like, oh, man, dealing with one of these games, like another one of these games. And then um, Liverpool was able to pull it out, score three goals, which I was extremely happy about. Jordan Henderson got a red card. But it it was like really – it was really fun to watch and witness – them turn it on like that in the second half because there's been so many times in the past and I alluded to it under Brendan Rodgers but even in Jurgen Klopp's like era early on in during his tenure they struggled against these teams that they should beat Mm. um on paper they would be like oh you should beat these teams and they wouldn't beat them they would lose to them um, but they would get up for the big game against the Man Cities, against the Chelsea's, against the Man U's. The top, they would get up against all those top level teams, and they would beat those teams. So was, there was so much variance in the level of performance that they had that it's really good to see that they've been consistent in terms of the teams that they should beat, they beat, and the teams that might be a little tougher, understandably, against the top teams, they it's more even and they're able to still keep that consistency going throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, up until a few years ago, I used to call them Robin hood Yeah, because <laughs> they're <laughs> distributing the wealth uh, <laughs> down below. Um, but yeah, they, l- they look good. I mean, I can't deny that. I'm, I'm jealous. Um, that's, <laughs> that's saying a lot from a, from a menu fan, but. Yeah, I think it's it's been impressive uh, to be able to see them do that, do all of that type of stuff um, in the league. Today, though. Yeah, I know. So, do you want to talk Champions League now, or do you want to talk like international football news now? Uh, I guess we can. I guess it's a nice segue into Champions. Yeah. League. So why don't we get into Liverpool's struggles in the Champions uh-huh. League, which is fairly. It's it's really funny to see the dichotomy of like they're doing so well in the Premier League and they're absolutely killing it, 
um, in comparison to what their struggles have been in the Champions League. Mm. And maybe that's in conjunction with how well they're doing in the league. There's there's maybe a, a tiredness or a fatigue that's setting in or that's coming into play because of these midweek games um, during the week. So, like, their last game against Red Star, <laughs> that was awful. We did talk about that in another podcast. But even today against PSG, I I wasn't expecting much. I thought they would lose around 2-1, like, or or 3-2, 3-1. Like, I, I thought they were going to lose. It was going to be very tough to get a result in Paris with PSG needing a victory, honestly, for them to probably get through and look and be positive because if they tied it would have been really hard for them to to pursue uh to uh progress um in the champions league so i wasn't that surprised that psg was coming out guns a blazing like in the first 20 minutes they hit liverpool in the mouth it was like oh wow like liverpool didn't seem like they were in in the game ready to play I I didn't I don't think they w- expected the amount of I guess intensity where Thiago Silva was like pumping up the crowd mm. visibly pumping up the crowd same with Neymar they're trying to get the crowd engaged because that Paris crowd it doesn't seem to get engaged at times um because they get bored of how good they yeah. that team is um and there's almost no connection to that team in some ways but they were really trying to get the crowd into it. They scored an early goal. Uh, I thought it was a nice, pretty nice goal by Juan Bernat. Um, took advantage of Liverpool's mistakes. Um, they go up 2-0, and I was like, okay, here comes the avalanche. And then <laughs> I don't know what uh, Anel Di Maria was thinking, but it was a clear penalty um, towards the end of the first half. Milner puts it away like he always does does and um at for the pk and i was like all right two one we're back in this if we could somehow get a goal early on in the second half and then maybe pressure them in the last 10 to 15 minutes and get that winning goal it would be really exciting and knock psg out but it, it just wasn't to be today and the liverpool really struggled with going forward um in this game and so so what do they need for it to happen for them to advance they need to win by win against napoli at anfield uh by two goals so if they win by two goals they will advance okay um and that's a little they certainly have the firepower on offense to be able to do that but i'm concerned about like defensively it's always defensively if they're able to hold up um and really be able to do that and I think that's kind of one of the concerns today they started Joe Gomez out right back um, and then put Dejan Lovren at center back pairing pairing them to um, I think we'll probably see that change and have Gomez go back to that center back position and Trent Alexander-Arnold be at right back because we need to score putting goals um, and Alexander Arnold's better at getting forward um, into the attacking third and providing better service into the box. So I'd look, I'd look to see that change. And I also wouldn't be surprised if 
there's a change in the midfield where maybe Shakiri comes in uh, for one of the center midfields, maybe Jordan Henderson, and plays a little bit more higher up the pitch mm-hmm. because of the amount of goals that we need um, to put pressure on Napoli. Um, so I wouldn't, I I wouldn't be shocked if something like that happened. Yeah, I mean, so those are the two changes I'd look out for. But I'm, yeah, th- this game was not too big of a concern just because I, it was something that was expected. Like if Nate, I think if Neymar kind of shit the bed on th- in this game, then you'd be there'd be calls for him to leave Paris. Um, but I wasn't too surprised about the result. It was g- always going to be a tough game. Um, this Napoli game is the one that is a must win, obviously, t- for them to advance because it's the last uh, group stage game. Um, so that's one of the, this is probably one of the biggest games in Liverpool soccer under Klopp because if they're not able to get out of the group stages in Champions League, then you kind of have to think that's a huge regression compared to last year where they made a run mm. to the to the champion uh to the final so that's it would be a huge concern if they weren't able to go to advance um and i think another thing that would be that that would be concerning in some ways is that this wasn't the game that i was too upset about it was the last game against red star belgrade away when Liverpool's clearly the superior team that they should be beating a team like that to advance or even at least getting a result in that game um, which would have been hugely important for them and now they they don't have that and they've all three games away they lost in the group stages and they weren't able to get a point or a result in any of those three away games so that's got to be somewhat of a concern moving forward um, in European football. But I, I feel like I've talked too much about Liverpool in some ways, and it's, I've made it so much a Liverpool-centric podcast. But are there any were there any other games that caught your eye today or yesterday? Because Man U, I mean, Man U struggled a little bit with young boys yesterday. They were able to get a, get a late goal through Fellaini so that they secured their advancement in the Champions League. But... I, I don't know if you want to talk more about Man U because that, it was more of the same for Man U. It, it's just they got lucky towards the end of the game um, and Fellaini was able to put in a nice goal. Um, he was able to trap the ball, make a, make a move and turn and then put it into the corner. It was a nice goal. But there w- the opportunities were far and few between and it was just, I don't know, they didn't look super inventive going forward. It was just kind of like towards the end of the game, let's launch it forward to Fellaini or off of L- Lukaku's head, ha- have him nod it down and flick it forward, and then hopefully someone can get get on, get to the end of it. So it was just kind of one of those games. Yeah, see, the one thing that I don't get is, sure, Juan Mata is a defensive liability, right? Mm-hmm. He's like the Isaiah Thomas of Man U. Yeah. But <clears throat> the the creati- the creativity that he brings to the team is so worth it right now because there's no one that can really do that. Right. At this point. Um and I want to say that him coming in 
made a little bit of the difference, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he came in and then Manu won. Yeah, it wasn't a great game from for them overall. No, I mean, I think there were a lot of switches because they're like, oh, this is young boys. We we have them at home at Old Trafford. Like, this should be an easy win. I sent you guys an article earlier in the week that they were having trouble selling out the game because. No one wants to watch Man U versus uh, Young Boys on like a Tuesday night. Um, so they, I think they had a tough time selling out the game. But yeah, it, it wasn't very inspiring play. And maybe this is like a kickstart for them um, moving forward that they're able to kind of do better in the knockout stages in the round of 16s. I'd be very interested to see what the matchup's going to look like for them moving forward because they'll most likely be locked into that second place um, finish because Juventus is probably going to finish in first. So they're probably going to verse one of the group winners. And I'm, I'm excited to see what team that they play because I think in Champions League, it's not so much about who has the better talent, but it's more about matchups mm. and how those matchups play out and whether or not these coaches can really put the tactics in place to take advantage of some of the matchup problems um, or the matchup advantages they have um, to their advantage. Yeah, enough about menu. Okay. <laughs> um, there are a couple other games that I did want to highlight. I did want to ask you your opinion on the Tottenham Inter Milan mm. game today because it was imperative that Tottenham win today yep. uh, to give them a chance to go in, to go into um, to Camp Nou against Barcelona in the last match day um, of the group stages to give them a chance to qualify. Um, so, what were your thoughts on today's Tottenham win over Inter Milan? Well, it's funny because. I think what it was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago that they played, right? Like uh, uh, um, the last round of champions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all all of us were saying like, oh. They're yeah, done. Yeah, they're done. We're going to see them play in the Europa League. Yeah. But like, no, it, like it just like the ball is round, right? <laughs> like that saying is so true. So uh, many cliches. Right. Like, <laughs> no, it's so true, though, because yeah. they've now, s um, they're now in second place and they now have a shot at going up. Yeah. I, and they, I think they've carried a lot of that momentum from the Chelsea game um, that they ended up playing very well in. They were able to carry that over in this game. As well, I think they started off a little bit slow and they're like, where are we going to find this winner? And then Christian Eriksen comes off the bench and is able to put one in in like the 80th minute. But he really changed the game. I thought for them, he once he came in, he ends up uh, having a nice free kick to the back post to Yambert. Like he really yeah, changes the game. The for first them. touch that he had was that, that free, free kick. kick and yeah. He, I mean... Tottenham can't let him go ever. Yeah, I mean, there's rumors about him going yeah. to, was it Barcelona or yeah. Real or yeah. one of these teams, but he's, I think he's that one special player for Tottenham. Even though Harry Kane's an amazing scorer and could put balls in, I think 
Erickson, Erickson pulls a lot of the strings for that offense, and he just makes that offense go. He's one of those creative players in the middle of the field that can kind of make things happen mm-hmm. uh, when they're struggling. And when he's fit, he can. he's probably one of the best in the world to do that. What really surprised me was how much Inter Milan was getting underneath Tottenham players' skin. Mm-hmm. A lot of yellow cards uh, in this game, just from the Tottenham side. Um, yeah. And uh, it was like maybe five minutes before the goal. Harry Winks, uh, who was really good in that game, by the way, he almost put one in. It was like a, like a dipping, like, uh, like a curler that was dipping and it hit the goalpost. But um, anyway, he like, he got fouled and he was, uh, I think it was Valero, uh-huh. um, who like fouled him and he was just like getting on his face and like putting his two fingers up, like. Like the insult in, in in English, right? Like he was like, you could see his mouth just mouthing all these foul words. Yeah, and I'm yeah. Like, Damn, like they're really getting underneath. Like, yeah, I mean, skin. I think they were kind of like really searching for that winner yeah. at that time, so they were really on edge, knowing that this could be the end of their Champions League run, especially with, I think, a lot of the expectations of them possibly doing better than they they had been doing. Um, I think they wanted to progress out of the group stages, and it's going to be fascinating to see what Barcelona does because Barcelona's assured themselves of a first-place finish in that group. And I'm curious to see if Barcelona puts their best squad forward, which I probably wouldn't if I was their manager because I'd want to rest players. Um, But it's going to... Nevertheless, it's going to be a tough game for Tottenham just because it's in Barcelona. Um, I wonder what the matchups are going to be and what the lineup is going to be for Barcelona just because of that very fact that they've clinched all that they needed to clinch um, in this group and whether or not the... Because at that point, then, all, all Tottenham really needs to do is match Inter Milan's result in the other game and if they're able to do that so if if Inter Milan wins and Tottenham wins Tottenham's going through if Inter Milan ties and Tottenham ties Tottenham's going through so if they're able to match whatever Inter Milan does they're going through at this point and that's I think that's a reassurance for them um I'm sure Inter Milan's gonna be be able to win because they're going to have an incentive to play well whereas PSV is totally out of it and I think Tottenham really needs to come out hot in that game but who knows what ends up happening I think what do you I mean what are your predictions on what Barcelona does in that game I mean obviously I don't think they're going to put their best squad Um, but I was just going to say Going into this past game, uh, Tottenham's lineup almost looked like um, they were giving up on, you know, European soccer, like um, Champions League soccer. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and also taking into account the f- for the fact that they ha- they're going to uh, be playing Arsenal this weekend, mm-hmm. right? That's like a huge game for them. Right. So it seemed like. Pochettino almost gave up on 
trying to advance. Mm -hmm. But with this, things might change a lot for Tottenham going forward. Uh, Just because they have that sliver chance of moving up. And now uh, it's going to be a struggle uh, to like rotate the players and maintaining their their place in in Premier League, but at the same time trying to do their best at trying to advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, a lot of teams have really already solidified their tickets going into the round of 16. All the usual powers pretty much have, are going through so far. Uh, there's not really any surprise teams going through um, in terms of a real upset happening. I mean, that's to be determined whether or not PSG or Liverpool gets left out, one of those teams. Um, So it's not too big of a surprise in terms of who's going forward. I think one of the teams that I did want to talk about because there was a Korean player that did get in in a Champions League game, which is fairly exciting, especially because of how young he is. I think he's 19 years old. was Bayern Munich, and they were able to crush um, Benfica 5-1, I think it was. But I think, what was his name? Uh, Chung Woo Young, yeah. I think. Chung Woo Young. He was able to get in, 19 years old. He's a winger for Bayern Munich. Um, that's an exciting moment for a young kid like that to get in, especially a Korean kid, um, someone that's, I've heard about I heard about this kid because he was playing against the Chicago Fire earlier in their summer tour, and I was like, "Is that guy Korean?" Is because I noticed he was Asian on on the screen, and then they were talking about him about how he was Korean, and I got super excited that this was one of the guys that could be p- possibly one of the future guys for the Korean men's national team. Yeah, and he um he was brought in by. Bayern to be either Robin or Ribery's uh, R- um, replacement. I mean, they're getting up there in age. Yeah. So it, it's going to be really exciting to see. He's been uh, training with the first team, mm-hmm. uh, but he plays games uh, with the uh, the lower league. Like the reserve yeah, team. Yeah, the reserve team. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw some of the highlights, and he looked really good. He looked real fast. Um buttery smooth touches which korean players usually lack yeah and he was like tight with his touches mm-hmm. on the ball yep. when he didn't have that much space he looked really good at being comfortable with the lack of space and being like okay that's fine i can deal with this or and not fe- like he didn't feel like he was panicking in those moments which was really exciting to see yeah yeah and i mean kind of switching gears into i guess the national teams um, the Olympics team is going to look really exciting for Korea mm-hmm. with him, with Park Seung-ho, with Lee Kang-in, and with... Uh, is Lee Sung-woo going to be in the Olympic squad or are they going to not allow him to play because he's o- he's already had that military... Exemption. Exemption. I think... Um, I think he... I don't think he plays. You don't think he plays? No. Because it's an exciting moment for a young young player to play in the Olympics, but I think because of the added weight yeah. to, to how important it is for the Korean team, 
they're going to try to give another player the opportunity yeah. to to acquire that exemption. Um, but for any other squad, I think if he was like a U.S. player, he would be playing oh, for in sure. the Olympics. Definitely. Um, yeah. So that would be that would have been really exciting to see. But you see all these like young Korean attacking players, and I think you see some of the influence that Son Heung-min's kind of having in the international pool for Korea in terms of developing a certain type of player in that I think about 15 years ago during the uh, Korean World Cup, Korea-Japan World Cup, there was that, I guess, reputation that Korean players had of being extremely fit, would run all day, Hmm. maybe not the most skilled, but they would try their hardest. Whereas nowadays, 15 years later, they're with, you know, Park Chi-sung going to, going to England with a lot of European um, influences now. There's a little bit more attention to the skill aspect of soccer um, in comparison to, I would say, the um, just the pure fitness aspect of it and the physicality of, of soccer in, within the Korean Federation. And it's really good to see some of that development come through. Uh, yeah, and that's mostly due to the changes in the youth system, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, clubs like Barcelona, Liverpool, they all opened up academies over there. They're trying to find their the next like Koreans uh, when they're kid, right? Right, and they've, yeah. and, and they've invested a lot in t- into uh, creating those systems, whether it be clubs or or the the Korean Football Association. And that's really, like, bearing fruit now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that's, like, a stark contrast to what the U.S. is doing. Yeah, I mean, we can, yeah, and and uh, to even, like, bookend that point, it's, there's a dual reason for a lot of these European clubs to, clubs to go to Korea to develop these academy kids and establish academies there because of the... Obviously, to find talent, that's num- reason number one. But reason number two, the marketing potential oh yeah. in Asia. Uh-huh. Like, Korea is one of the biggest markets for soccer um, in Asia. Obviously, they want to break in China. And, you know, Japan has a pretty rich soccer history as well. But Korea is probably one of the biggest cultural... Like, soccer is one of the biggest sports in Korea for them. And the huge marketing potential w- within Korea that they would have. And then within the greater Asian region is really important for a lot of these European clubs to establish new forms of revenue in those different countries. So it it totally makes sense from their perspective as to why they want to establish those connections. Um, And like you're saying, you're kind of alluding to the struggles that U.S. soccer has been having in terms of developing talent um, and developing a certain type of skill and talent. I think it's not that U- the U.S. soccer is struggling to put out talent in per se in terms of players playing in leagues across the world. It's more about a specific talent slash skill that there's that's lacking for U.S. players. And I'm hoping that someone like Ernie Stewart, who's the who's the technical director and the leader of where U.S. soccer is supposed to be going, 
um, into the future. That's one of the big concerns for me as to um, seeing whether or not U.S. Men's Nat the U.S. Men's National Team is able to develop a system that I think what Jurgen Klopp was or Jurgen Klopp Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to do was in some ways correct, but I don't know as to the long-term goals of, I don't know if he was able to establish those long-term effects in terms of developing all these systems slash um, within systems within U.S. soccer. And I don't know if there's any fruit to be born from that generation maybe Christian Pulisic, but there's not many other guys. There's a lot of young guys coming through the pipeline that we've mentioned on this podcast. But they're all from the European system. They all went through the European academies. Most specifically, the Bundesliga German academies with, like, Weston McKinney. Um, I mean, he he eventually made the jump to Schalke um, after he had been, like in the academy system. You I, I'm curious to see what some someone like Tyler Tyler Adams does. He's on the New York Red Bulls when he makes the jump over to um the Euro- to Europe because I think that's obviously the next logical step. Zach Steffen earlier this week he got some buzz about going to Man City um on a transfer at after the MLS season. So I'm excited to see a lot of those guys that are young American guys to make the jump um, over to Europe. Well, you mentioned uh, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, but do you have a news for us? Yeah. And And this was, I mean, this is like almost like a Woj bomb from like basketball, but there's been reports out about, we're this is like ten thirty on Wednesday. Yeah. Ten thirty yeah at night. And it was being reported around nine thirty PM tonight that there's a new US men's national team coach manager and it's gonna be not a surprise to us, but it's gonna be Greg Burhalter, uh local Jersey guy, exciting, born in Inglewood, went to St. Benedict's, who was a pretty big rival of my high school when when <laughs> i was playing uh, high school soccer um but they're like one of the best teams in the nation um in high school and he's a product of that he coached the columbus crew um over the past couple of years got them to the championship yeah i think he did win a championship or yeah. got them to the championship um but he he was a coach manager that we expected to have over the past couple or like probably over the past couple months or so is pretty widely speculated and reported that he was going to be the new coach, but they were just kind of waiting for the MLS um, season to end. So give me your initial thoughts on, on a a manager like Greg Berhalter. Um, What are your thoughts on the U S Federation Hiring from within, essentially hiring from within, hiring one of their own guys and kind of taking that departure away from the Jurgen Klinsmann, I guess, outside hire. He Mm. was a German guy, uh, came up through the German system and then really tried to place his ideals of German football onto the U.S. Soccer Federation and 
and now they've kind of taken a departure from that, especially with the mess of like not qualifi- qualifying for the World Cup, uh, the Bruce Arena th- thing, bringing him back from the dead and that not working out, and now trying to bring one of their own, Greg Burhalter, who played for the national team, uh, played in, I believe it was 2008-2012 World Cup, and knowing what it means to put on the jersey, all that stuff, what are your initial thoughts on it? Because I have my thoughts on it, and I'll, I'll give them after you give yeah. your thoughts, but what are your thoughts on that initially from hearing this news? Well, I think he's he's a young guy, right? as young for a manager, 45 yeah, years old. 45. Um, but I think by hiring someone like him, they can he can like I guess uh, U.S. Soccer is really hoping that he can like really take control of the locker room because he's gonna demand and I I mean he's gonna have that respect from from the players like oh yeah he's like one of us right mm-hmm. he he knows the things that we are going through as a player and uh, like someone who's representing the country. Um, so I think that's going to be a big plus for the team. Um, just being able to rally around him, right, a- as this model figure for um, for uh, a team that's been really struggling. Um, and I-, I guess he's sort of proven himself by getting Columbus crew to well into postseason, well into championships. I don't think he's won anything, but... Um, I'm gonna pull it up right now. You could keep talking. He, he won as a he won a cup as a uh, player in LA Galaxy, mm-hmm. but he's never won a trophy as a manager. Got it. Um, tell me if those facts are true. That's or true. Not. Yes. yes, he won one with the Galaxy in 2011, and then 2015 he reached the MLS Cup final with Columbus Crew as a manager, but they lost in the finals to the Portland Timbers. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I I agree with a lot of your points in terms of him being able to relate to the players as when they're fighting for qualification uh, for the World Cup qualification, he'll he'll be able to relate to what the players are going through. And I think that's what U.S. soccer is kind of looking at, especially with the failure of what ended up happening um, this past cycle in terms of sometimes Jurgen Klinsmann failed to, maybe skill-wise, some of the players were more talented, but just the grittiness of what we thought of of U.S. soccer, you would always know that U.S. soccer would have that type of hard work mentality slash grittiness to the team, and they would kind of have a never give up, always try hard um, personality, and I think Burhalter is going to be able to kind of touch into that a lot because he was a U.S. men's national team during that age where they were able to qualify for a bunch of World Cups in a row, and he's going to be able to tap into that. But I think the biggest concern for me as a fan is to see 
is it going to be more of the same um, dir- under him, or is it going to be somewhat different in terms of the system that he implements? And that's, I think, long term, it that's the worry for me as to see as to see whether Ernie Stewart and him, Greg Berhalter, are going to be able to propel the U.S. men's national team forward. Um, because I think in the short term, it's not a bad hire at all, and I think he'll be able to understand how to get this team to qualify and i think also he will be able to understand the mls landscape he's coached against a lot of these guys he's going to be able to have his input as to which guys he thinks are good which guys he thinks are bad but i think my worry is whether or not the system that they're both able to put into place long term is going to be able to be shown and be, uh, borne out, and I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like. Yeah, and I think U.S. soccer really screwed up by not announcing it, I guess. A long time ago? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, it's e- been a even year or even so. Even um, just like last month or, or before before the these uh, last international friendly matches. Mm-hmm. Because we're not gonna see him uh, with the players until when, like January, probably. Mm-hmm. That j- there's like a January training camp, that right? But it's not even. I don't know if it'll probably be just the MLS guys, not the even the European based right. players. So that's gotta be that's gonna be a concern. I'm also gonna be curious to see who they choose for the Gold Cup next year because mm. that's gonna be something, and then what ends up happening because and then also i think what's going to be hugely important for them is to try to qualify for olympics i mean i know he won't be coaching them because that's a u23 tournament but the i can't remember the last time the u.s has qualified for olympic um for the olympics um in soccer because they've struggled to even do that so being able to develop that there's all these markers in place that are usually able you're able to see whether or not it's the mark of a healthy men's national team program. And obviously those those struggles in the Olympics and qualifying for the Olympics in lower age groups, those are the players that are going to eventually be those full-time national players. And that's kind of why you've seen this dip in performance from the U.S. men's national team because you've seen that they haven't been able to qualify for the Olympics and that was a direct result of relying on older players um, in the in for the world this past World Cup qualification group when these players probably sh- like Demarcus Beasley probably should not be playing <laughs> like as good like as good of a player as he is and as like almost a U.S. men's national team legend he is he's an old guy that shouldn't be playing l- like a your left back position yeah. Like especially in modern modern football, right? Clint Dempsey, he's old. Like, like he's a good player, but he was old at that at for the uh, the qualification mm. stages. He was thirty something, thirty five or something like that. Like these guys aren't to be relied on, even though these are U.S. men's national team legends. And I think that's kind of that was the struggle because the Olympic team wasn't able to qualify um, in back-to-back campaigns, 
those guys weren't ready to take on the full load of being a U.S. men's national team player, and they were a little worried about throwing them into the fire. And here's another healthy um, health check. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, like, n- like nations soccer teams, right? Mm-hmm. Is if players who are a little bit over thirty are able to comfortably say, "I'm gonna retire," so that I can open up the doors for the younger players to right, come right. into my place, mm-hmm. right? We are, s- and I think we've seen that with Korea more recently. Like Park Ji Sung retired yeah, fairly young. Young, yeah. Yeah, which I was a little bit surprised with. Um, Ki um, Sung Young said he's gonna retire soon, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, if I think he said if he does get called off for the Asian Cup, yeah. he'll play, but yeah. that's gonna be the last time he's gonna play, mm-hmm. right? And that's because there are people behind him, right, who are just as capable as he is. That they just ha- need the experience. Right. And, like, international football, like, um, it's all about experience, right? All these tournaments. Y- mm. You need experience. Yeah. And to be able to pass along that knowledge um, at a fairly young age and pass up a ton, that's a sign of, like, that. that's a sign that, like, that country's soccer teams are healthy. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's an interesting thing to kind of evaluate especially for the better teams because maybe the guy that's 32 but maybe still be better than the 22 year old or 23 year old but is kind of holding on in better soccer nations it's kind of a oh i don't know if i should be giving this up but even in the u.s too like someone like michael bradley for example who's like 30 something now i i believe he's around 31 32 or so maybe even older now. Like, I just don't understand the reason as to why he's playing. Mm. Like, or why he's being called into the national team camp. Like, I don't understand the role other than him maybe to provide some leadership type of experience and, like, showing some of the young guys how to do stuff. Um, Why is Brad Guzan, like, playing? Like, he's not going to be playing in meaningful tournaments right. for this team just right. give the minutes to stefan or even ethan horvath who's played for club rouge in champions league for like give these guys experience so that they have that experience to rely on when they're in tough moments um during qualification so that they can rely on those those memories that they've had oh i know what to do in this situation because i've experienced that six months ago when i yeah. was playing well like case in point, right? Um, World Cup, France, one of the youngest. I think they had the lowest. I think they were uh, one of the youngest. youngest yeah. Um, third place, England. Right? Young team. Young team. Fourth place, um, uh, Belgium. Also young, young team. team. Look at how. Look at the failures of Portugal, Spain, Germany. It's because they didn't properly uh do a generation change yeah and i think and it it takes a lot of humbleness from a lot of those players to be like okay we need to pass it on to the next generation and then also it kind of has to be a mindset from the federation itself to let them understand okay we need to change it up even if it's just a few of the players to change it up 
because that German squad was completely the mm. same. And that and they have to understand, okay, we need to get guys like Leon Goretzka in to get some of these um guys to get to play, like that are new and young. Yeah. Like Joshua Kimmich, like he needs to be getting minutes and playing. Like these are some of the guys and you can't be throwing out some of the old old guys like that they've lived and died with and they've had good moments with them in the past. Yeah. They've won world like these are guys they won world cups with and it's really hard to h- not give them the chance and kind of ho- held on to that nostalgia of being able to do some of those things that they were able to do with those teams. But like you're saying there's it's all cyclical. They need to h- continue to change the out those players so that all the younger players are able to get requisite amount of experience so that when they're in big moments, they're able to come up, step up, and succeed. So if you're listening, um, uh, U.S. soccer, we are we we are free to help out. Yeah, I mean we can provide. <laughs> we'll provide like a twelve step process <laughs> yeah. for for U.S. We're soccer to succeed um, from the, you know, the we bill by the hour. Yeah, armchair <laughs> analysis. You know, we have really good uh, analysis. We can g- be hired as consultants. So just uh, hit us up on DM or call us on <laughs> it or um, hit us up on the podcast. You know, we could just kind of give uh, give all your th- give all of our thoughts to you guys um in that manner was there anything else that you wanted to touch upon one last thing okay it's it astounds me how even like you know uh i don't know uh, people like us who are just really passionate about the sports that we talk about yeah right we can see what's wrong with u.s soccer yeah and they don't seem to admit or they can't seem to admit that they've sort of screwed up and I don't know that, that they need a change. It, yeah. it, it, sound, it like really astounds me because it's like almost like a, like a pride game now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, w- that was like the hard thing about this whole thing. Like, and this higher, I don't know if it signals like a wholesale change. And I don't know whether or not they're doing, like, obviously they're trying to do different things in terms of separating the role of the technical director, which is, like, a huge overview of what U.S. soccer wants to be in the future in comparison to what the manager does and basically having the manager take on what the technical director is trying to do like those roles were one and the same like mm. Yuri and Klinsman yep. had both roles but they've separated those two roles because they they realized we need the top down guy and then we need the guy that's able to put those things and implement them implement that system into our full national team and then bring and hopefully that trickles down to the younger younger teams and the younger players yeah, I think that's I think it's been somewhat of a concern for me to see whether or not US men's national team is able to really succeed and I don't I'm I'm kind of worried as to what this next ci- cycle is going to look like um for 2022 
and whether or not they're able to get these players enough experience because I think what my goal would be is to get all these young guys. Mm. Like, it shouldn't be 2022 that they're targeting. It's 2026 that they should be targeting um, in terms of these young players. Like, Pulisic, in eight years, he's going to be a guy that's, like, 26, 27. That's a guy that is going to be in the prime of his career at that point. And that's one of those guys that hopefully him, Weston McKinney, uh, Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, like those four guys are going to be 27, 26 to 28 years old at that 2026 World Cup. And the dream there is going to be hopefully they're able to succeed and really push for one of these like amazing runs. Hopefully someone like Belgium or like England had like that's the dream, I think in eight years or so, whether or not they're able to show enough progress um, to call what U.S. men's national team, that this whole failure of 2018, if they're able to call that a success because of all the changes and the things that they've changed around um, because of the failures of 2018. Um, So... I guess to close out, there's one thing I did want to close out with Mm -hmm. that was non-soccer related. um, And I did want to get your opinion on this. Baseball ended. So I want to talk a little bit about baseball. Okay. Um, We talked about Boston Red Sox with them winning. We're firmly in like, you know, hot stove, like rumors about where players are going, Uh things like that. Bryce Harper's a free agent. Yeah. Where is he going? Your thoughts on where he's going? I have basically two guys. Where's Bryce Harper going and where's uh-huh. Manny Machado going? Uh, <laughs> kind of threw you under the bus yeah. there. Well, I th- okay. I think Bryce Harper... Or, okay, Manny. Okay, okay. Let's Manny Machado. Okay, I think he stays in LA. Okay, Machado stays in LA. Yeah, that's an easy answer. Okay, that's easy. Okay, yeah. um, and then where's Bryce Harper going? It's been reported that he turned down a three hundred million dollar yeah. deal to re-sign with the Nationals. So ma- he's probably looking north of that, maybe four hundred mil, which is ridiculous. Um, four hundred million dollars. What are your thoughts on that? Oh God, <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> I mean, I think for me as a Yankees fan, I would love to have him because of the short porch and uh perch in right field, and for him to be able to just bomb home runs. Mm. Like he's he was always a, a Yankee fan, huge Mickey Mantle guy. Um, always a Yankee fan because of his dad. All this stuff. Um, I wouldn't be. I I'd be super happy if he's a power left-handed power bat for the Nationals and he would look great in a Yankees jersey because I think they're kind of lacking that left-handed power bat um from the Yankees and maybe teach him a little bit of first base so he can play first base for them. Um so I that's my hope honestly that he goes to the Yanks. 
uh, I'm I'm maybe because there's I th- I think the logical answers are the Yankees, the Nationals, um, the Dodgers, and the Chicago Cubs. I think those are the four locations that if he went outside, what are the four locations you mentioned? Chicago Cubs, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yankees the Dodgers and the Nationals. If he goes to any of the other outside of those four teams, I'd be fairly surprised unless he like signed with like maybe the Mets and the Mets <laughs> threw like a bunch of money at him. But I wouldn't be surpri- like I'd be fairly surprised if he went anywhere else. Well, okay. So I think uh Yankees does make sense. Uh huh. Because oh, you're just making me so excited right now. Gregorius went through Tommy John's, right? You're making me so excited right uh, now. So I I really hope you're right. Uh, I think Giants also has a chance. San Francisco. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean they struggle offensively. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they they could benefit from uh, a power hitter like uh, Bryce Harper. Okay, if you ha gun to your head because this podcast is running a little bit longer than than I thought. Gun to your head, who who are you choosing for Bryce Harper? And Giants. The Giants. The okay, Giants. that's a that's a surprise move. Um I don't see it, but it's possible West Coast guy, Vegas, who knows. I I hope he comes to the Yankees. I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the Cubs just because Theo Epstein's really good at getting guys for mm. some reason, and he has Chris Bryant there, who's like one of his Vegas bros, like <laughs> his like good friends in baseball. So I wouldn't be surprised about that. But I just want to get your thoughts as a fellow baseball fan uh, to see what's cooking on that end. So thanks, Hedging, for coming on the podcast again. Um, I mean, it's almost the end of the end of the 2018 year. Mm. Um, so there's going to be a lot of really exciting stuff coming out in 2019. We're, s- we're planning on starting a bunch of interesting and cool stuff for 2019. Um, we're really getting up there in, in numbers in terms of episodes of podcasts. I think this is number 40. Um, so we're really excited to keep cranking stuff out for you guys. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed this one. Um, and go Liverpool against Everton this weekend. You never walk alone. (laughs) All right, see you guys.